stargazers, scientists, wise men, they don't always fit the mold. Albert Einstein initially failed an exam to get into technical school, and his ideas seemed crazy when they were first published. Nobel Prize winning Indian chemist Victoraman Ramakrishnan didn't get into any of the graduate schools he first applied to. And Chinese Nobel laureate Tu Yuyu studied ancient texts to discover the cure to malaria, which has saved thousands of lives. And she did it without a doctorate, a degree, or medical training abroad. It can be hard to listen to voices outside of our accepted circle. But sometimes, the outsiders are the ones who see the truth first, whether it's written in our genes or written in the stars. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 12, we read that, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Is it possible that even today, we don't know how to recognize how outsiders can be the truly wise ones among us? Is it possible that people who sit in places of power and knowledge are missing out, while others are bringing valuable treasure to unexpected places and making even more valuable discoveries as they do? Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. Thank you so much for being here in the room. Also want to say hello to all of you who are watching online or on television. For those of you who are in the room, would you please give a big hand to our television online audience. A lot of stuff going on in the atrium today is... Uh, it was mentioned already, already, John Ed signing books out there. Please stop by and get one of those. Also, uh, there's, there's another table out there that's uh, a, a beautiful, beautiful ministry in Kenya uh, with the Mescal School. And uh, they, they have some uh, handmade crafts uh, from across the pond. Some of them are elephants. Some of them are tigers. There may be a, a small competition going on <laughs> to see which one sells out. I, I'm, I may have heard a rumor that the, uh, there's one tiger left. I would hate for the elephants to win, so would somebody who feels so led in their heart please stop by that table and buy that tiger for the service over <laughs> And, uh, and, and by chance, if they do have any more elephants and you're looking for those, they're in the back parking lot by the pavilion. So <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to get that out of the way. 
Each week during this series, we are reminding ourselves that we need to have a big kingdom vision, that the kingdom is bigger than just one church or one network of churches or one denomination. Even the kingdom of God is so much bigger and is advancing all over the earth. And so we're praying for another local church in the River Region throughout this series. And today we're going to pray for Pastor Robert Wagstaff and the New Mount Calvary Baptist Church. I'm so thankful for them and their ministry here in the city. Also, I just feel led to pray this week uh, for Wesley Gardens and, and the other nursing homes and, and um, assisted living facilities. So this has been a very hard, hard time uh, on them. And so I just want to pray for them and their workers and their caregivers who take such a good job uh, of taking care of folks, especially during these hard times. So I just feel led to pray for them as well. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for this moment right here, right now. Lord, you are in this room. And Lord, whatever room the people are sitting in right now on the other side of the camera, you're right there with them. And I pray that they would feel your presence. Lord, we do. We lift up Pastor Robert in the New Mount Calvary Baptist Church. God, we pray your blessings on them and on their members. Would you keep them safe? We pray for their leaders that you would inspire their minds and give them wisdom throughout this time. We pray for Pastor Robert, Lord. And Lord, I just ask that you would breathe life into him. And help him know the way that he should go as he pastors and leads during this pandemic. Father, we do. We lift up those in Wesley Gardens and in all the other facilities. God, we pray your blessings and protection on them. And we ask that you would be with their staff and watch over them. And Lord, now we ask that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts and minds that we may receive what you have for us this morning. And we pray that your kingdom would come right here at Fraser, just as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 What we're talking about this morning, magi, wise men, scholars, kings. Uh, They've been referred to in, in many different ways throughout history. They were an intellectual band of people in search for the newborn king. Whenever they arrived in Jerusalem, immediately people knew something was different. It, it may have been their clothes. It, it may have been their accent. We don't know. But, but people understood that, that this group of people, however many of them there were, who knows how many was actually in their company, could have been several of them traveling together, men and women. Whenever they arrived, people knew that they were not from around here. You know what I mean? They could just tell. They could tell. Two questions. Why were they there? Number, well, answer, they were looking for the king of the Jews. Number two, how did they know the king of the Jews had been born? How did they know the king of the Jews had arrived? Well, this is what brings us to this famous star that we read about. There's been a lot of study. There's been a lot of searching. uh, There's been a lot of writing about this famous star, the star of Bethlehem. Some people say it was Halley's Comet, which did come through around 12 or 11 BC, but that's a little early for this story. Some people say it was a supernova, certainly could have been. One scholar writes and says, more likely is the fact that the planets Jupiter and Saturn were in conjunction with one another three times in the year 7 BC. 
Since Jupiter was considered to be the royal or kingly planet and Saturn was sometimes thought to represent the Jews, the conclusion was obvious. A new king of the Jews was about to be born. But the scholar goes on to say, technically we don't know this for sure. What's interesting about that theory, though, is that on December 21st, 2020, many of you may have already heard this, Jupiter and Saturn are going to come into alignment once again. They're going to be the closest together they've been, some say, in 800 years. And the Christmas star is going to be seen in the heavens once again. Interesting that it's December 21st. And that December 21st is that shortest and darkest day of the year. And so on the shortest and darkest day of 2020, and everything that we have gone through this year, once again the Christmas star is going to burn bright in the sky. Now, even though we may not know all there is to know about this star, what we do know for sure is who, who, these magi, these wise men, these scholars were looking for. We may not know everything there is to know about their travel and, and what led them here or there, but we do know who they were looking for. Their arrival in Jerusalem sent Jerusalem into an uproar, uh, all the way to the very top of the food chain with King Herod himself. King Herod heard that they were there. He heard why they were there, and he was terrified. Now, this is Herod's first mistake. He's going to make several. But his first mistake was simply that when he heard that God was doing something, when he heard that God was on the move, when he heard that, that God could possibly be doing something incredible in his day, that God actually may have just arrived on the planet, when he heard this news, his first reaction was fear. Fear. But why? Why would Herod be afraid? I mean, he's, he, he's king, right? Not only that, he, he's Herod the Great. Why would someone with great, the great, in their name be afraid of a baby? We have to remember that Herod was Herod the Great because he built buildings, right? He built temples. He built amphitheaters. That's what made him great. It was not his character or his faith. But why was he so afraid? Herod actually lived with constant fear. Constant fear of being overthrown. Constant fear of being kicked out of his position. He lived in constant fear of conspiracy around him. He, the word paranoid really does not even begin to describe this man. He was beyond paranoid. The people that he ruled over at that time, the Jews, they never really accepted him as a legitimate king, and this constantly bothered him. Not only that, the people who were closest to him in his household, he constantly feared that one of them was trying to get him out of his position, move into his position. There was constant fear of conspiracy. I want you to get this picture. Herod, Herod, he had a wife killed, a son, another son, and another son, another wife, and a mother-in-law. Three sons, two wives, one mother-in-law. He had them killed. Why? Because he thought they were conspiring against him. Again, the word paranoid does not begin to describe this man. 
Knowing that helps us understand that it's no stretch of the imagination to see that Herod would even have countless children slaughtered in order to try to prevent the new king from coming. Herod, right before he died, he died in 4 BC. We, we see it referenced in Matthew chapter 2, verse 19. Some people think he died of intestinal cancer. Right before he died, he, he, he gave an order. He wanted all of the, the Jewish leaders of the community and the, the, the people that the people looked, to, looked up to, he wanted all of them to be gathered together. And on the day that he died, he wanted them all killed. His rationale was... If there was not going to be any mourning for his death, at least there would be mourning at his death. Again, it's no stretch of the imagination to read the account of the gospel story now and understand why this man would try to eliminate anybody, even babies, as long as he can hang on to his position. And that's his problem. Herod was more concerned about his position than he was the possibility that God was doing something in his day. He was more concerned about his position than the possibility that God had actually arrived. So, he had to scramble. He assembled the high priest and the scholars, the religious people that he knew, and he asked them, well, where was the Messiah to be born? They went to the Old Testament, to the prophet Micah, and they said, well, it's in Bethlehem. Here was Herod's second mistake. His first mistake was fear. His second mistake was that instead of living with anticipation for the Messiah to come, instead of living with that messianic anticipation for the Messiah to show up on the scene, Herod was completely unprepared for this moment. Completely unprepared. If Caesar was coming, he would have been prepared. If another leader in another empire was coming, oh, it would have been a big, huge spectacle. But not God. Not God. His first mistake was that his first reaction was fear. His second mistake was that he was completely unprepared for this moment. But he moves on. He arranges a meeting with the Magi. He pretended to be as devout as they were, and he also pretended to see, want to see the newly arrived king as badly as they did. And here was Herod's third mistake. His first one was fear. His second one was that he was unprepared for this moment. His third mistake was that Herod wanted to control the situation. Herod wanted to control the situation. You see, people who live in fear always want control. And people who want control will manipulate the facts however they have to to make it look like however they want to. But Herod had not learned that God is just all kinds of stubborn. You know, really is. Herod was an insecure, spiritually unprepared man with a God complex. And he had not learned the lesson that God did not have to play by his rule or his rules. Herod wanted to be the main character on the stage. But he ended up being almost a footnote in history. 
Herod had not learned that God does not have to play by his rules. Herod wanted to keep everything quiet. Hush, hush, hush. Keep it quiet. God put a star in the sky for everybody to see. <laughs> Again, God's all kind of stubborn like that, isn't he? He knew what was going to unfold. The Magi have a completely different approach to the situation. Whereas Herod is trying to keep everything quiet, he's unprepared for this moment, he's living in fear and insecurity, the Magi, they go on a quest. Somewhere along the way they see the star. Somewhere along the way they start their journey headed toward that star because they want to see this king. Now, two things I want to point out. Number one is they had a major obstacle. And then number two, they had a major goal. The major obstacle was simply distance, physical distance in between where they lived and where the Messiah, the king, was born. But what the Magi show us is that they were willing to travel as far as they needed to in order to see this king. They were willing to travel as far as they needed to by day, by night, it did not matter, to see this king. And not only that, while Herod is trying to keep this quiet, they did not care who knew what, the, what their journey was all about. They did not care. They saw this pursuit as something not to be hid, no. But something to be lived into. Something to make some noise about. The king is here. What the Magi teach us right here is something very important. Even though this is a very familiar story that we've heard many times, the Magi teach us something very important. It is simply the fact that they were persistent Persistent in closing the distance between them and God. They were persistent in closing the distance between them and God. And in many ways, their physical journey that they were on is the same for me and you. In many ways, their physical journey is the same spiritual journey we all take. Every one of us in the room, every one of us watching online or on television, every one of us have, at some point, at some point, has felt very distant from God. Now, if you've never felt that, thank you so much for taking your halo off when you walked in this morning. I really appreciate that. I really do. Really do. And I'd like to meet you right after the service to shake your hands, even though I'm not supposed to. But every one of us has felt distant from God at one point or another. Matter of fact, the question is not really, you know, are we going to experience this at some point in life? No, I think we are. The question is, what are we going to do when we feel like God is light years away? In those moments when we know in our mind that God is everywhere, his presence is all over the earth, his presence is even right here in this room. In those moments when we know that in our mind, but what we feel in our heart seems like there's a light year size gap in between those two things. The question is, what do we do then? Well, the Magi teach us that many times in order to see the kingdom come, we have to go. We have to do everything that we can, everything within our power to close that 
gap. We have to be relentless in our pursuit of this king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, especially in those moments when we know there's distance between us and him. Their problem, obstacle, distance. Their goal, their goal was worship. Worship. Their whole goal was to make it to the king. A baby born in a barn. To make it to the king and lay gifts at his feet. To bend their knees, bow their heads, and to worship this new king. And in so doing, I think they teach us another lesson. Not only is there times when in life when, when we feel like there's distance between us and God and we need to close that distance, one of the things that they teach us here is that worship, worship many times is more about what we give and less about what we get. What if I'm just the messenger, but what if? What if we were more concerned about blessing the heart of God in worship? What if we were more concerned about blessing the heart of God in worship than we were Blessing the eyes and ears of the children of God in worship. What if? What if worship is more about blessing the heart of God than it is blessing the eyes and ears of the children of God? Don't get me wrong, I want you to be blessed. But what if? more about blessing God than us. And I say eyes and ears because we all do this thing when we walk out of a worship service. You do it. We do it, right? We do it. We're going to stand up here in a minute, you know, and Jared, and then we're going to come up and rock out another song. It's going to be fantastic, right? You know, and I think Ken or somebody, Neil, somebody's going to come up and close us out and send us out, and we're going to make an assessment right there. Did I like what I saw? And did I like what I what? Heard. What if? Worship is more about you liking what you saw and what you heard. What if worship is more about blessing the heart of God than it is seeking the hand of God and what we can get from God? I know I'm meddling, so I'll back off right there. No, I won't. What if, what if worship is more about gold, and frankincense, and myrrh? What if worship is about gold? It's those things that we treasure, and we come and we lay them at Jesus' feet and declare that he is our ultimate treasure. What if worship is, is like frankincense or incense, It's used many times throughout Scripture. What if worship is about the aroma that's created in this room through our praise and prayers? 
What if worship is like myrrh? That anointing oil used at death. And in worship, we actually come to die to self a little more so that we can live for Christ all the more. What if? I think the Magi teach us a couple of very important lessons here. Sometimes we have to close that gap. Sometimes we have to travel as far as we have to travel to connect with, to bend our knees, bow our heads before the King of kings and Lord of lords. And many times that trip that we have to take, that quest that we're on, that journey we're on, is not a physical one, but it is a spiritual one. And when we get there, the one goal, I think, has to be worship. Worship that's more about Him than it is Just a thought. The story goes on. Things get a little tricky. The wise men have completed their quest. They've completed their journey. They've worshipped the king. And now it's time to go home. God supernaturally warns them. You don't need to go back to Herod. And you need to go home in another way. And their story, the magi, the wise men, the scholars, the kings, what amazes me about their story is that you and I still read it. Think about it. We don't even know how many there were. We guess three because there's three gifts. We don't know their names. We don't have a picture, a painting, or a selfie. We don't have anything. Did they have those back then? We don't have anything. And we still read the story. In fact, if you were to go to Cologne, Germany right now, you're going to see some interesting things. In Cologne, Germany, the first thing you're going to see is their coat of arms for the city. Right in the middle of that coat of arms are three crowns. Guess what those three crowns or who those three crowns represent? The Magi, the wise men. The scholars, the kings. These nameless and faceless people who simply sought to worship Christ. If you go into the city, you're going to see the Cathedral of Cologne. Beautiful, beautiful cathedral. If you walk into the Cathedral of Cologne, you're going to see the shrine of the three kings. Within that shrine is said to be the bones of the magi, the wise men, the scholars. They've been around for a long time. They were housed in Constantinople. They were given as a gift uh, to someone in Milan by uh, Constantine in 314. Around the year 1164, they were given as a gift to the Archbishop of Cologne where they've stayed the rest of the time. Now, you may ask me, Chris, do you really think that the bones of the wise men are in that shrine? I don't know, to be honest with you. I don't know. What amazes me is that people are still telling their story. History looks back at Herod in a very different way than history looks back at these magi, wise men, scholars, kings. And the question that you and I have to ask is what quest are we on? What journey are we on? Are we a Herod? 
hungry for power? Or are we a magi? Eager to praise. When your history is written, and people look back on your life, what are they going to remember? Are they going to remember the power you sought or the praise you gave? What about us as a church? Not just you as an individual, but us as a church. One day when they write the history of Montgomery, I want them to write that Fraser was a church that wanted nothing more than to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And my prayer as we go into this season is that we would have the heart of these nameless, faceless people that we read about every year and a simple desire to do anything we have to do to close the gap between us and Christ and to bend our knee and bow our head in worship for the kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven Jesus and Jesus alone must be our ultimate pursuit. And my prayer is that it would be so for me, for you, and for us. Amen. Amen. Father, we pray that it would be so. Father, we ask that we would be people of worship. And that worship would be more about blessing your heart and saying eternal thank yous for everything you have done than about what we get. God, right now, I pray your anointing on our worship leaders in this place. Father, you have called them and uniquely gifted them to stand right here and to lead us, your people, into these holy and sacred moments. And God, I pray we would not take it for granted. And Lord, in moments when we become so jaded by religion, may your spirit break through and may we see Christ, just Christ. It's through Christ we pray.